0: Hello to our beautiful listeners. This is Cindy Silva once again in conversation with one of my favorite people, a colleague and a friend, Rebecca Fisk is with us today. Hi Rebecca. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm excited to have you here and host this conversation. It's been something we've talked about doing for quite some time and the day has arrived. So yeah, I've been really looking forward to this and um, sharing you more and more with the people that are starting to tune into these conversations. It's it's been really well received and it's growing. And so here we are. And I want to share some things about Rebecca with all of you to help you get to know her a little bit more and then we'll bring her forward. And Talk about her topic today, which is on relationships. And the timing is so perfect because of what we have this week with the equinox, and the theme of relationships is really up for us in the astrology. For those of you who are tracking the astrology, Rebecca is an intuitive psychic who's been sharing her gift to help people for over 25 years. Though she knew from a young age, she had an unusual empathic sensitivity. Her journey into the world of psychic phenomenon officially began at age 21 while working as a police dispatcher. It was then that Rebecca noticed powerful reactions about people and situations. She went on to meet a psychic who acknowledged her strong and internal guidance. With this encouragement, Rebecca continued on her spiritual journey by reading books, learning about meditation, the positive effects of prayer, and developing a deeper awareness of energy and how it affects us. Rebecca was also recently named one of America's top 50 psychics and has been included in a resource that's available online to help people choose the best psychic available to help them guide their lives and help them answer questions in times of confusion or really needing the assistance of others to provide clarity. So congratulations on that, Rebecca. I would totally, wholeheartedly support your inclusion in that list. My work with you as a psychic and an intuitive has just been, I would say, I'm, trying, I'm at a loss for words here, just um, uncanny the way that you bring through information and um how specific you are, and the multiple times that I've used you, how accurate as well. So congratulations on that. And once again, thanks for being here. And I want you to share with us why you chose the topic of relationships today.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much um, for the acknowledgement and then also just for having me here today. I've been excited about this as well. Um, So relationships. And we're talking about relationships um with ourselves with the universe with other people, all types of relationships, so we're not just you know talking about romantic relationships but um even with our the family members that we have chosen um, you know it's it's such an interesting thing to go within ourselves and discover that our first relationship is really truly. Um, a, a mixture of, of God and ourselves, you know, they talk about the little self and the big self and um, the little self being our own personal selves, the ego, and then the big self, which is the connection to all that is God, the consciousness, the universe, whatever you choose to call that. Um, but, you know, we, we're kind of conditioned to believe that we're supposed to grow up and get married and have kids and 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 you know it may be a little bit less conditioning these days but certainly when I was growing up that was kind of understood you know we had the fairy tales that had the princess being either kissed by the prince or riding off into the sunset on, on the right the white horse and everybody lived happily ever after and the reality is that um you know there are so many other types of relationships um, and that it first starts with ourselves. So that's a big part of why I chose relationships. Um, there's also something that's been happening um, fairly recently, and, and it happens all the time, but there's been a special emphasis universally lately on transformation. I've seen it a lot with my clients. I've seen it in my own life that the last certainly couple of years have all been about letting go of the things that don't work, and and really allowing ourselves to become more comfortable in our own skins, and developing a relationship with our whole selves and finding a way to love ourselves um, where we are so that we can be more fully present for ourselves and for others. Um, and, you know, I think it's no accident right now that, you know, I am in. we're in California. Cindy and I are both in California on the West Coast. There is a migration right now of the Painted Lady butterflies, and they're making their trek from Baja, California, up to Oregon for, um, you know, to reproduce. And so over the last probably week and a half or so, there are thousands and thousands of these Painted Lady butterflies Making their way as they migrate back up north, and I just think that it's such a beautiful and perfect example of our own transformation right now that you know first they are the the caterpillars that go into the cocoon and now they've come out and they are um, they're in this beautiful state of of what we what we call beautiful as butterflies. Um, and they're doing this for love, right? They're going to go up and they're, and they're going up to reproduce. But the, but the analogy of that transformation is so beautiful and that they have to be one with themselves and one with creation just to go through that transformation. And so I just think that's beautiful, um, as an example right now. So anyway, mm-hmm. that's, that's why I'm choosing. I love it.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh, you're just really tracking. Something that's near and dear to my heart, it's not an easy topic to embrace, but it's the reality that we have to embrace for anything new to come in is that we have to get comfortable with death. And this whole idea of the transformation and the transfiguration of the caterpillar into the butterfly is an acceptance of the death of one form so that it can emerge as a new. So I, you know, I'm not saying it's comfortable, but um, there's a life death life process that has to occur. And we must let things die whose time has come to die. And that is what gives life in a renewed sense, an opportunity to, to burst forth and reveal itself. So this, happens in relationships um with ourselves, with other people, with nature, with our career, with our finances, in every area of life, sometimes we're bumping up against letting something die that must die. And that's a hard thing if we want to hold on and control and make things comfortable and familiar. So I'd love to have you speak to this and how how it shows up in your work i just imagine that there might be a theme that shows up in your clients around this process of holding on to something too long or needing things to stay the same that creates some confusion and i'd love to have your perspective on that
1: um well thanks and what a a great question um you know one of the things that is a reality, you know, we, we, there's a, the, 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 the saying about how the only thing we can count on is death and taxes. And, and I expand on that and I say, we can count on death taxes and change. And that really, change is the only constant in our lives. Because even though we get up in the mornings and we kind of go, okay, it's Monday morning, this is my routine because it's Monday morning. Um, Everything is always different. It's always new and it's always different. So things are always changing. It's just that what happens is we'll go through our routine and we we tend to kind of, you know, start our lives in this place where, you know, obviously we're in survival mode. I'm hungry. I cry. I get something to eat. You know, I go to sleep. I have, you know, that process that I have as a baby when I'm not even consciously aware of it. I just know that there's a survival thing because I can see that looking back on my life. But then when I start to have some self-awareness, then it's like, okay, wait a minute. I have a twin brother. He got more of that than I did and I want more. So my self-awareness <laughs> and my relationships become about, okay, I have people around me who can give me what I need and what I want. And I go into ego because, you know, now I see that I have, I have this twin brother and I want everything to be fair. What I think to is fair. So, you know, then I evolve a little bit, and, and you know, I grow up and I realize that things aren't necessarily fair, and I understand that I have reached a place in my life where I'm seeing that there are patterns, you know, so when I became into my, when I came into my conscious awareness, if you will, or at least I started that path, um, I kind of started a little bit of that in my teens, uh, where I, you know, I had a very strong faith in God, and I, I wanted to be of service to God, whatever that looked like. I remember I was about 15 years old, and I had a conversation with my sister-in-law. And I told her that I didn't know what my life was going to look like, but I wanted to serve God. And I, I set that intention at that age with, without any understanding what that was going to look like. Um, so then fast forward now. I know Cindy mentioned that when I was 21, I started dispatching at a police department, and I always knew when people were lying to me on the phone. Um During that time, I started reading spiritual books, Who Am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Who is God? And what I realized is that my my self-awareness became such that I realized that my life wasn't really truly all about me. It was about how can I serve God? But also, I was starting to understand that there were patterns about being unconscious in my life, you know, getting up, taking a shower, going to work, doing these things on automatic pilot. And not having an awareness about how I was affecting other people, how they were affecting me, and how in being unconscious and unaware that my relationship with the world was really kind of in a numb place, for lack of a better word. Um, at that time, I was doing work that did affect other people, and I and I could see the effect that I had on other people because of the nature of my work. But As I continued, I I started to, you know, on the spiritual path, um, I understood that the more I got out of my own way, the more information was coming through to me, more intuitive information. And so my relationship with myself changed as my awareness changed. My patterns um, became more obvious to me. And I realized that I was letting unconscious choices dictate the outcomes of my life and and even the people I was choosing in my life that I was choosing people because they were familiar, even though they weren't they weren't necessarily comfortable um, and so as as i as I started working on my own issues, I realized I could start changing patterns, and as I started changing patterns, I noticed that people became upset and I started losing friends because I was starting to make choices based on where I was in my life at that moment and starting to understand that there's also, or rather, there's always co-creation and that that co-creation happens through our conscious awareness. Um, So as I started breaking through these patterns and losing relationships, there were those who actually came back around. But at first, because I was starting to go through change, they didn't like it. Nobody's comfortable with change. I don't know anybody who says, yay, change, bring it on, or maybe we say that, but it doesn't mean the process itself is comfortable. Transformation is not necessarily comfortable. We like the outcome, but going through it, you know, unless we completely surrender to the process, going through it is not a comfortable ordeal. So I did have people come back around to me. But I remember as I started losing friends because they didn't like the new, improved Rebecca, um, it got really lonely there for a little bit. But what I realized is that my relationship with myself was improving, that I, I started liking myself. I started making decisions that were right for me, that resonated as you're in the right place at the right time and this is what you're supposed to be doing. And I really felt connected to God. And I started having very interesting relationships with nature. And I know that sounds really strange. But I had really phenomenal things happening around me. Um, I had lizards coming up to me, approaching me in the wild, and letting me pet them. This happened often for a while. Went to visit my, my parents in Arizona in the desert, and... Literally, these baby lizards were coming up to me and letting me pet them. Um, I had it happen in Huntington Beach at a eucalyptus grove. This lizard that was about six inches long, whose tail had been cut off, wa- climbed up on a log and sat down next to me about, oh, I don't know, five inches from me and let me pat it. So I had those things happening. I had um, crickets showing up all over around me. When I'd go for walks, they would be jumping in front of me on the sidewalk all the time. And it wasn't long after that that I met my first spiritual teacher. Her name was Snake Woman. She was Choctaw Indian from Oklahoma, and she knew a lot about animal medicine. And she started talking to me about what the lizards meant and what the crickets meant. And in the Chinese tradition, crickets are good luck. So she said, "You know, they're talking to you about your gifts of speaking, your gifts of singing. That's the crickets are bringing that to you, and they're showing you you're on your path, and they're they're offering you good luck and letting you know that you're guided." Um, the lizards are the guardians of the children. They live in the east and the west. They're, they're you know, always out at sunrise and sunset. Um, and so I was learning about why these things were happening to me from my spiritual teacher. And so I came to understand that in terms of my relationship with God and the universe, I came to understand at a young age that everything in God's creation is conspiring for my highest good. And if they're conspiring for my highest good, they're conspiring for the highest good for every single one of us. And so, when we can surrender into a cooperative, co-creative process with the universe, and understand that that truly is where we live and how we live, and that the easiest thing to do to have that be an easy process is to surrender. It can be a it can be a wonderment. It can be A more gentle process, and I'm not saying it's going to necessarily be easy all the time. But when you when you approach yourself with gentle, loving energy, then you get to treat yourself with kindness and compassion, and you can make the process more gentle for yourself. Um, And and what happens is, the more that we have compassion for ourselves and our own processes, the more that we have compassion, understanding, kindness, and empathy for those around us who are going through the same thing.
0: Hmm. Yeah, the empathy piece keeps coming up, I'm hearing in your share. And there are, I think, a lot of empaths, but even more so people that haven't considered themselves empathic before are becoming empathic. And my sense is it has to do with an opening of the heart and maybe... A term that we know in our circle of influence, the veil is thinning. Um, that we're just becoming more aware of our oneness. So we're we're experiencing and feeling things in the fields of others that before there's there was more of a boundary between us that's dissolving a little bit. And so the topic of relationships is is up for that reason. Is that the term itself? relationship really speaks to the fact that there's more than one and the reality that's surfacing is the fact that we are all one so negotiating that paradox I feel like is at the heart of what's emerging um, and that the people in our lives that we're relating to are really a reflection of inner aspects of ourself that we're Learning to relate to and integrate into ourselves to become whole.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I know that you asked how this is showing up for clients as well. And the thing is that what I'm recognizing is that a lot of them are kind of going into this place where, where you know, they talk about the dark night of the soul in some of the different religious traditions. And the reality is that we have to go within to find out who we are again because we are programmed through, you know, our family and friends and people around us who basically start telling us at a very young age who we are. And the reality is we are God's child first and foremost before anything else, and we are truly an expression of God. But we're programmed to believe otherwise. People want to, to have us be comfortable for them. So they, you know, like parents teach what they know because they have fear of teaching something that they don't know. Like it's, it's a very interesting thing. I'm a parent now. I have a 13-year-old. And um, it took me a while to understand that, well, I'm teaching of the things that I know because these were the lessons and experiences that I had. And I'm only limited in my ability to teach him by my wanting to control how I guide him. And I finally realized a couple of years ago that, you know, he has his own expression of God, and he has his own path, and that path has nothing to do with me, that I get to guide him to help him learn how to be safe in the world, you know, don't cross the street without looking and things like that, because there's a reality about living on a physical plane here. But he is who he is, and he is first God's God's child. And so I have to let go of my fears about who I think he's supposed to be or how I think he's supposed to be and teach him the things that will help him get along. So, yes, it's important that he has nice manners when we go to a restaurant <laughs> because there is an expectation that other diners will get to have a good experience instead of watching a child eat with his mouth full or, you know, something like that. Um, but we have our own fear that shows up in these relationships partly because of our egos, oh, what are people going to think of me if he's misbehaving? But then also, how easy a time is he going to have moving through the world if he doesn't know how to be polite in certain situations where there are expectations that he behave in a civilized way in a society that requires civilization? Um, As far as the dark night of the soul, getting back to that, so most of us at some point in our lives, find we're in a place where we are kind of having to reevaluate everything. We're looking at our choices. We're looking at where we are. We're looking at what's happening around us. We're looking at what we've manifested. We're looking at what's working in our lives, what's not working in our lives. And when we enter into this place where it feels like the dark night of the soul, it feels like we have been forsaken by God and that we are by ourselves in the dark. That's the easiest way for me. To, to explain this, but most people have this kind of um, a, a, if you will, kind of an experience that is basically being in the darkness before the door to the light is opened. And I will say that there are a lot of people going through this right now. So if you're feeling like you don't know which end is up right now, you're feeling like you don't know who God is, you don't know how God is showing up for you, Um, you're feeling like nothing is working and you feel like you're all alone, just understand that you are on the brink of a huge spiritual awakening and that you are not alone, that you are fully supported by God and the angels, that there are people around you who love you just as you are, and that they will see you through this. Those who are meant to be with you will be with you through this anyway because they know who you are. So it's about allowing yourself to be in that place and knowing that there is light just beyond. Um, What happens with us in relationship in this place is that we give ourselves permission to come back to our authentic self. Typically, the dark night of the soul happens when we have been living our lives guided by the thoughts, feelings, and expectations of other people, and not from our own internal guidance, and not from who we know the source of God to, to be. And so this is a it's a beautiful thing that happens from here because it's giving you permission to come back to your own authenticity for you to make choices that feel good and nurturing and loving for you from that place and so um, as far as how this is showing up for clients there's a lot of this going on right now uh, We can see it even in politics you know people are talking about how at odds things are in the world right now that you know, it seems like there are such extreme um, perspectives and opinions being presented. And the reality is that, you know, there's always light and dark. There's always yin and yang. There's always balance. The universe is always seeking balance, which means there's a requirement that you have both. So sometimes things seem very light and sometimes they seem very dark. But we have to illuminate the darkness with light in order for us to have growth. So we can see it in our internal lives, inside of ourselves, with these experiences of what would be called the dark night of the soul. We can also see it expressed, um, you know, politically and in our government systems and in the world based on what's happening politically. So so we can see it right in front of us. Um, And one of the things that I suggest to people, because I have people say, well, how come the politics doesn't upset you? And I say, well, you know, there's a couple of things. First of all, God said to have faith in God, not man. So that's the first thing. And the other thing is, if we believe that everything is in divine order and that there's a reason for everything, we can let go of the need to try to control it. So, of course, I go out and I vote. But I don't have an attachment to the outcome. Because I know in my heart, that everything's happening to the highest good at some level. I don't necessarily understand it now, and I may never understand it, but I do trust it.
0: So. Yeah, thank you. The trust piece is big, I think, especially in change, like to understand something greater is at play here than it is you, but it's you as a conscious version of the universe unfolding through you. Like we're we are a physical expression of the universe but we have this kind of uh, identity theft that's happening, and we believe ourselves to be separate individuals but when something like a dark night of the soul sweeps through our lives it is the more expanded version of ourselves that we're not conscious of that is forcing the change to create a greater Mm -hmm. bandwidth through which love can manifest in the world and so it's hard to trust that when your life is falling apart and being blown up and you're not able to do the work you used to do and the finances go with it and the relationships that don't fit anymore you know start to fall away it gets really confusing and lonely and we try to fight it and resist it and hold on and control it and it it creates um more contraction and constriction so, it's not an easy process to begin with, but when we resist it, it becomes even less comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I like that you say trust because if we if we know that there's a storm coming, we can prepare for it, and we can you know know that it's the storm is here and it will pass and let it come through and and bring its blessings it's um its inconvenient blessings into our lives and then, um, you know, see where we're at as it passes through and and then, you know, come back into whatever's been brought forward that's new. But if when we don't know there's a storm coming, we're caught off guard, of course, then we're in defensive mode and, you know, we're um not prepared and and then our instinct of fear comes up. So I like that you're you're using the word trust and I would just add the um the piece in here for when we are tuned in to the subtle dimensions of ourselves and we get help with you know other people in our lives that can help us see things we can't see because of our blind spots that there are indications that there's a storm coming often and we can prepare ourselves for that and um write it out with a little bit more awareness and i've had a couple of those storms roll through my life the first one i was not prepared and not aware of what was happening and it was you know pretty gnarly and scary and i was definitely feeling victimized and not awake during the process meaning not aware of what was happening but the second one that came through I was I, I was aware, and I stayed awake through the whole process, which made a big difference. It didn't mean it was easy. Uh, it was still really uncomfortable, but just the being awake part made me trust it, even though I didn't understand it.
1: Yeah, and I, I know that that can be very, very difficult. For some people, that's the hardest part, is trusting it when they don't understand it and just allowing it anyway. But also, you know, fear is a really interesting thing. And I don't remember the source um, from which I, I, I got this information, but it wasn't long ago that um, I was doing some studying on the brain. And, um, and one of the things that came up was that our fear came from when we were cave people. So when we had fear as cave people, it was fight or flight because it's like the fear is there because we're going to die if we don't react. And so what's happened is we have evolved as a species. Obviously, you know, we don't have hair covering our entire bodies anymore. I mean, well, we do, but it's not, it's not like what it was way back when. Um, and so we've evolved in a lot of ways, but the part of our brain that feels fear has not. And so what happens is when we feel any fear, we go into fight or flight response because we ultimately are afraid we're going to die. So. It's a very interesting thing to start looking at that, that we are afraid of change. And, and so, but it's not something that is rational. We can't say, well, just have a little bit of fear because it's something different. Our body goes into fight or flight because, oh, if you change, you're going to die. That's how our body's still working. That's how our brain is still programmed. So one of the things we can do is we can look at the rational, and I know that rational thought is completely different from feelings. You know, they don't live together. We try to kind of marry them a bit when we're making big decisions, but they don't really live together. If we're being emotional, we're not necessarily rational. If we're being rational, we're not necessarily um, being emotional. And, um, and so that's why, like, if you're having a disagreement with a loved one and the person's really, really, really emotional, trying to talk them into rational stuff doesn't work. They need a moment to process their their emotion so that once they process the emotion, they can come back to rational thought and then you can have a dialogue with them. Um but anyway, so it it just is something to to remember that when you're going through something that is scary, try to remember, you know, what can you do to ease the process? Be gentle with yourself, be nurturing, be loving, be kind. Um wow. Because when we get into that fear thing, it feels completely overwhelming, but it is going to pass.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So our relationship to fear has to do with some primal aspects and related to the amygdala or the reptilian brain and that um, neocortex or the frontal lobe refer to and the location um, is where we can see the bigger picture which is really important in that kind of situation is to be able to see the bigger picture and my experience was that there was a reality that was happening and then on top of that there was a story about the reality happening which was even more painful than the actual reality so it's generally kind of where the story comes from is the fear and that can be the unbearable part is like oh i'm going to have to live with this forever it's never going to get better or mm-hmm. or you know whatever the story is so yeah thank you for bringing that forward about the the brain piece i'll share one little piece i heard years ago and it really stuck with me and it was that there's this massive amount of um, building and opulence that took place in Dubai and they had these huge structures erected in terms of hotels and so forth, probably casinos and I don't know, but these pristine buildings that were megalithic and millions of dollars um, had an issue with pigeons roosting on the top and Of course, with pigeons comes pigeon droppings. And so they hired a falcon trainer to come in and bring the falcon, and then when the trainer would release the falcon, it would fly around and the pigeons would disperse. And what the falcon trainer said was he said, these pigeons have never seen a falcon in their lives. But because pigeons have been preyed upon by falcons, since the beginning of their existence. It's in their DNA, and the DNA Mm -hmm. that's been passed on to these pigeons by their ancestors is what makes them deathly afraid of the falcon. It wasn't anything in their direct experience in this lifetime. It was a memory in the DNA that was causing them to fear the falcon. So I that, you know, translated into human existence as the same, like, even though we may not have ever had the experience of um, going hungry or being uh, threatened by some kind of a a wild animal, it's it's in the DNA to still fear that, like, we haven't outgrown that as a species yet because somehow it's useful to keep us, you know connected to our creativity so we can use it in exchange for money to buy food and feed ourselves and um, to avoid, you know, being destroyed by a predator. Like all of that is in there for the purpose of evolution. It's not there to harm us, but there to keep us connected to our creativity and our instincts in a way that keeps the species um, moving forward and evolving and and i i feel like what our topic today on relationships is kind of pointing at and coming to here is that there's an evolutionary aspect to relating that is up for us in you're using the word transformation and i wonder if you want to share anything about the future of relationships as it might be kind of the next level of relating not from past experience but what might be emerging in relationships that's somewhat um, new that's transcending the old form of relating but including you know the necessary aspects at the same time
1: yeah well and and, and thank you that's a that's a brilliant brilliant question so what comes to mind immediately is. You know, I'm thinking about life in the 50s, and I'm thinking about how, you know, nobody talked about alcoholism. Nobody talked about domestic abuse. Nobody talked about anything being anything except hunky-dory behind closed doors. And that, you know, as we got into the 60s, 70s, 80s, people started talking about things that had been formerly taboo. And so, you know, and we can see even an evolution of that in our current government situation where, you know, now we have a 29-year-old female representative who is outspoken. She is not afraid to speak her mind. Um, And that's a huge deal, that we have found our voices. We are still finding our voices. I know from my own self and my own path, when I was a child and even, you know, into young adulthood, Um, I was afraid to say anything that would not please somebody else, and I held everything in. So, you know, I had a nervous tummy all the time. Um, I was trying to be nice to everybody so that they would like me. I was afraid I wouldn't be loved, I wouldn't be liked. Um, You know, there is a part of us that, you know, and you're talking about DNA and what that does with us, there's a part of us that is connected to getting along with people so that we can survive because we have traditionally as a species been codependent and so you know people got married because they had to get married because that was the way the species would continue and that was how they would survive you know if you think about even um you know little house on the prairie days there was a symbiotic relationship in the family that the man would go out and work and and do whatever needed to be done to bring in money whether that was raising crops or raising cattle or you know, working in the mines or being a blacksmith, whatever that was. But, you know, going out and doing something that could generate some income while, you know, the wife was at home taking care of the children, cooking, you know, which cooking was an all-day thing. Cleaning was an all-day thing. It was like there was it was never-ending, and it was brutally hard work. And so – but that was their survival. This was – that was the way that people lived, and, and that's what was necessary. Um and so, you know, people didn't get divorced because if you got divorced, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? You know, it's, it's not going to support the well-being and, and, and the survival of species, if you will. Um, so, you know, when we fast forward to today and now we have all these modern conveniences, um, so we've taken some of the survival quote unquote mentality out of it. Um, you know we we become a, a a species that says you know i don't have to be with this person for my entire life because i'm no longer dependent on this person for my survival and in in speaking up for ourselves we're not only finding our voice which is a, it's a voice of freedom um but we're realizing that in in not having this codependency we are able to authentically be ourselves as expressions of the divine without being connected to other people. And so what I'm seeing, you know, I feel like just watching the dynamics of the family unit change over time um, and then even seeing what's happening with our government representatives, I feel like I am seeing an evolution of us as individuals, part of the collective consciousness, and that we are still choosing and embracing the path of enlightenment and the evolution of the soul in the individual and in the consciousness. So as far as relationships moving forward, um, as one person is empowered and speaks their truth, so does that empower everyone else to be authentic and to speak their own truth, which further supports and allows evolution of us um, as individuals and in the conscious field. Um, as far as relationships, again, you know, you said earlier about how it's relating. We have relationships with anyone that we're relating to, including ourselves. And so as we become more grounded and rooted in being authentically ourselves, we give ourselves permission to be authentic and continue in that authenticity, not only for ourselves, but also as we're relating to other people in our lives and in the world. And that gives every one of our relationships um, an opportunity to evolve as well. So the energy in your relationships will change as you give yourself permission to change, as you give yourself permission to be authentic, as your relationship with yourself becomes one about acceptance and joyfulness and nurturing and allowing that you are first a child of God, and that you are a divine expression. Um, the relationships around you will change, and they will grow, because as you embody that, you give those around you permission to embody that as well. And it's beautiful, and you'll find that, you know, everything around you will change in a good way. And, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience with that. Um, so I myself am divorced, uh, very good friends with my ex husband. We're we get along much, much better now that we're not married. We're co parenting our thirteen year old, see him almost every day. We can stuff together as a family. Um, but he's you know, we have different lifestyles and it doesn't work. And we've we realized at some point that we were unhappy and that this was not gonna work for us. It was not. And it took a very long time for me to finally I woke yeah, I finally woke up one morning and I was completely at peace because the realization was we deserve to be happy, all of us. None of us are happy. We, this is not working. There's tension in the house all the time. And so the minute that I, that I embraced that and thought, you know, we can all be happy, I can give us all permission right now to be happy moving forward. We all deserve that. Um, that decision alone started shifting things in my life. And, and and so that's been a number of years now. But I'm realizing that as I am willing to surrender into my own authenticity and allow and become more detached and observing of what's happening around me and how I am affected by things around me and how I relate to them and how they relate to me, I'm realizing that I can make more conscious choices about what's appropriate for me. Um, which has to come from the detached observer. I'm very sensitive. I'm an empath. I feel everything. <laughs> and I'm I'm great at crying. I'm like I could win awards for that. But the beautiful part of that is that I've never been ashamed to cry. I've never had a problem with it. So when things come up, I release them. I don't carry them with me anymore. I used to, used to hold everything in. I don't anymore. Now I go, Oh wow, I'm feeling teary. What is it that I need to look at here? What do I need to process and release because it's not serving me? And how can I serve myself in my relationship with myself? And so I've surrendered. I've had to do a lot of surrendering. My son is on the autistic spectrum. I had a lot of expectations of him as my child and of myself as his parent and finally had an epiphany a couple of years ago. But the very best thing that I can do in my relationship with him is accept him where he is and allow him to be who he is. He is a beautiful expression of the divine, just the way that he is. Kind kid, compassionate, loving, but his neurological system works differently than "quote unquote" the average child. So he needs accommodation because he is who he is. And when I finally allowed myself to surrender and 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 allowed. Myself to receive him where he is, the gift of his presence in my life became that much more immense, and he has been one of my greatest teachers. What happens because of that relationship with him is that it's changed my relationship in romantic relationship as well because I realize that I need to I need to allow my significant other to be where he is, not place expectations of him because it's based on what I want, but to just allow him to be the expression that he is of the divine. And there's a freedom in that. There's a freedom and a comfort and a stability in being able to do that. Um, It's taken a long time to get here. But, you know, I speak about this mostly as it shows the example of how, when we change our relationship with ourselves and we start shifting our perspective on the relationships with those around us, it affects every type of relationship in our lives in a good way.
0: Mm, yeah, really juicy stuff. I love this piece um, that's coming up as I reflect on your words about relationship and how it's shifting, for me, what I'm noticing. And it's similar to what you're describing about Ben. And by the way, I can't believe he's 13 already. It's hard to believe you have a teenager. (laughs) Uh, Last time I saw him, I think he was seven or something. Mm -hmm. But, um, like, typically in the past, in relationship, we show up, projecting onto the other person an expectation of how they're going to show up based on our memory of the past experiences with them. And that doesn't allow them to show up as the new, fresh, alive being that they are in the moment because we've already created a projection of our expectation. And this is really speaking to quantum physics in that um, everything is perception. So if I have a perception of, you know, um, somebody showing up the way I expect them to show up, they could be showing up in a completely different way as a different being, but I won't even recognize that because my projection is overlaying something in the field that only allows me to see them in the way that I am expecting to see them. And so I feel like what's emerging for me, in relationship is to show up fresh and present and curious as to who is this being in this moment because this is a new moment and there's, you know, a curiosity uh, in the field that allows them to reveal something that I've never seen in them before and appreciate them by including this other reflection that's being allowed to present itself because I'm not holding them to a certain pattern. And I feel like this is what what comes up in our familial relationships when we get together with family. We have such a history, a pattern of projecting onto each other and roles that we play day after day, year after year, that when we get in to the space of our family and they project onto us our old self um we can't be who we truly are freely we we bump up against all of these um limitations and restrictions on our freedom and our expression because in the field we're kind of regressed back into an old way of being and you know this is something that i i feel like Uh, Quantum physics is going to help us outgrow this old modus operandi of relating. And not only to others, but to ourselves, if we're able to wake up in the morning and give ourselves freedom to see ourselves differently and permission to allow ourselves to show up differently, that's where it begins. Like, who am I in this moment, not based on... My experience of the past or my projections into the future of expectation, but in this moment, what's emerging here? Uh, so, this is really exciting, and it does take trust to allow that somewhere something incredible that's waiting to be known that is you as a new version of yourself that is, you know, here for the inviting.
1: Yeah, I have to admit that when you were talking about the familial stuff, I, I, what immediately came to mind was the, the arguments of, you always or you never. And, you know, those types of arguments <laughs> that happen in, in family dynamics. Um, Harmo Hendricks is amazing and, and he's one of the, one of the co authors of, um, Getting the, Getting the Love You Want. And he talks about how when you're having an issue or a judgment, with anyone in your present life, it has nothing to do with them. It's the familiars from previous experiences that you've brought forth. And you said that so beautifully about how we're projecting onto the current situation. It's unfortunate that until we have consciously released the past, we carry it with us. And so, um, so just such a great point about how, you know, waking up fresh in the morning and knowing that it's a brand-new day with a clean slate. You know, a lot of people talk about that, but it really is true. And, and so much of that is based on whether or not we're willing to allow ourselves to just be fully present in the present without bringing in stuff from the past. And so whatever your own personal ritual is for getting yourself in the present you know, try to find something. If you don't have a little ritual for getting yourself present, try to, try to find something that will get you into the here and now. Um, one of the things that I suggest very often, you know, people will say, well, how do I develop my intuition? And what I say to them is, you know, next time you take a shower, take it in reverse order. And they say, what? And I say, well, if you usually wash your hair first, wash your hair last. And they say, well, why? Well, because if you can get yourself really present with the shower, paying attention to what the water feels like. What's the temperature? Is the water pulsing? Um, What does it sound like? What does it sound like when it's hitting your skin? What does it sound like when it hits the shower floor? What does it smell like? What does the water smell like? What does your shampoo smell like? You know, if you're going to brush your teeth in there, what does that taste like? Bring all of your senses into the here and now when you're in the shower. Most of the time, we're just sitting there going, Oh, I got to stop by the post office on the way to work. And oh, that's right, I got to get some gas. We are not, we get through the shower and we don't even know what we did when we were in there. (laughs) We step in and we step out. It's like, What did you do in the shower? I don't know. (laughs) Because we were thinking about all the stuff we need to do instead of actually being present in the experience. So bring yourself into the present in the experience. And what happens is you're engaging your senses, which is where we get our intuition. It's through our senses. But also you're giving yourself the gift of the present. You're not worrying about what's to come. You're not thinking about what's in the past. You're giving yourself the gift of the present. And so whenever you think of it, take a couple of deep breaths. Bring yourself back into the present moment. Look at what's right in front of you. Because the more you practice that, what you're doing is you're creating an opportunity to have a new experience and not bring your old baggage into the current moment. And the more you practice that, the better you get at it. And so, it, you know, it really, truly is a gift to be in the present. We know what it's like when we're sitting and talking to somebody and they're completely engaged with us because they're not letting anything distract them. We know what that feels like. Well, you get to give that to yourself every single moment if you choose to by just bringing yourself back to the present. If there's stuff you want to process from the past, set aside some time to actually address that in a conscious way instead of allowing things from the past to overwhelm you and interrupt or disrupt your present. So anyway, just my little two cents about, um, you know, giving yourself really truly an opportunity to operate with a clean slate.
0: Thank you. That's really sweet. It brings something up for me. The Queen's Slate is sort of like an invitation and a segue to go back to what I was referring to earlier about waking up every day and having this brand new opportunity. Is that in some traditions, you know, it's believed that sleep is like a mini death. So when we go to sleep at night, we're basically dying from this conscious world and entering the subconscious and then in the morning when we wake we're reborn so if you believe in reincarnation you could see every day as an opportunity to reincarnate just like if a whole lifetime means taking on a body and then at the end leaving a body the microcosmic version of a lifetime is a cycle of one day And that every night when we go to sleep, we kind of leave the life that we've experienced that day to learn. And this is what dreaming is about. When you go in and the the subconscious and the psyche flushes up a dream for you, oftentimes there's lessons in there like here's something, you know, to look at. It's like having a little life review of your day and then waking up if you're a dreamer and taking that information and doing a little dream homework if you're into that or just seeing the information as a useful piece that you want to integrate into the next day. It's it's kind of like looking at the, the whole life cycle in a day and how each day is an opportunity for a new life and a new identity, you know a new opportunity to um relate as this new version of yourself that um is is revealing itself to you through its mirror reflection in those that you're relating to and mm-hmm. that's really where this this piece is coming up about the quantum revelation uh is that there is no objective reality without the paradoxical subjective reality, which is everything that's in the physical is a mirror reflection of what we're projecting outward. So this comes back to what you said, it's all about relating to ourself, what, how we relate to ourself is what's being mirrored in all our relationships.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree.
0: I absolutely agree,
1: and I I love that the quantum physics pieces of all of this. But um, we could talk about that for a long time.
0: <laughs> I'm sure we will, because it's becoming mainstream conversation, and uh, yeah. you know it's not it's not a a mild shift in perception to allow that that reality, and it's it's. On the level of where we as a civilization used to think that everything revolved around the earth and then we realized everything revolves around the sun, it's that kind of a a shift in perception to move from a materialistic worldview to a quantum worldview. It thus really collapses a lot of the uh, stronghold and beliefs that have kept us separate and Um, projected um, onto others things that um, we didn't want to take responsibility for. It really eliminates the whole uh, archetype of victim, in a sense. And um, this whole piece you brought up about codependence is in order to, to be a victim, there has to be a codependence because there has to be a persecutor and a rescuer in order to be you know to for the victim to to be uh, acknowledged so that it brings up another big topic but we don't we're not necessarily going to have time to go there <laughs> i want to um <laughs> tell everyone about rebecca's website it's com, and you can learn more about her amazing gift and read testimonials from people who have had the privilege of working with her and work with her regularly. Um, Rebecca also has uh, a book that she offers. I believe it's on your website, Rebecca, your your book?
1: Yes, yeah, there's a link to it, yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, let's see. Would you want to say a few words about the book and just tell our listeners how to get it, why you wrote it. It's called The List, Tools to Create the Life of Your Dreams.
1: Um, Yes, and thank you, Cindy. Um, So, you know, I wrote the book primarily because uh, the information that I was giving to, to clients was coming up over and over and over again. And I had several clients and friends say, you know, you really need to write this. So what I did is I wrote a very quick Guide. It's a quick read. I didn't go into the whole history about how I got into doing my work or any of that because we basically live in an instant gratification society. So basically, you know, the, the, the book is very succinct. You can read it in about an hour, hour and a half, but there's a lot of homework in there because really transformation is an inside job. And so there are lots of tools to help you acknowledge where you are. And then help you kind of create a blueprint on where you want to be. So list writing for me has been transformative. Um, The things that I have in the book, I've either done these these um, tricks myself or tools, if you will. I've used the tools myself. Um, or, you know, if there are – there may be one or two things in there that I haven't used or recommendations that I make that I did not do myself, but they, they came from a very reliable source. Most of the stuff in the book is stuff that I've actually done in my own life, and I know that it works. Some people prefer a vision board. I don't recommend vision boards because that's not what my path has been. My path has been list writing. And so I have manifested things in my life through this list writing process um over and over again in my life now over the last over twenty years or so. So um so that's the book. Um again it's a really quick read. It's available on Amazon. You can get the Kindle version for two ninety nine or you can get a print version for I think it's five ninety nine. And um and it works and I've got clients who've come back to me and they've said, you know, I've done the work and it it really works. So I have I have a couple of clients have actually come back and they said, you know, it worked for me a few years ago when I used it and now I've got some new things coming up and I'm gonna do it again. So, um which is which is wonderful. Um, anyway, so that's that's why the book is there. Um, I'm just gonna throw in a couple of other little details. I live in Southern California. I have an office in Seal Beach, and then I also travel to Northern California once a month, and I see clients um, in the Bay Area once a month. Uh, The bulk of my work is done by phone or Skype. And um, so if you're interested in contacting me for a session um, or for more information, um, you can reach me through my website or Rebecca at IamRebecca.com.
0: Thank you. Wonderful. All good stuff. Thank you for your contribution and for your contribution to WIN, the Wisdom and Intuition Network. Rebecca is a regular presenter um, offering a call-in opportunity for those that want to check her out and have a little mini-reading. Can you tell our listeners when they can tune in and how they can find out about that?
1: Um, Yes, and thank you for that. Um,
0: So I do a show
1: um, the first Wednesday of the month, Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time. And um, the best way to be kept apprised of when those are going to be occurring is to sign up for one of my Facebook pages. Uh, I have Psychic Next Door and I am Rebecca Intuitive Psychic um, are both Facebook pages of mine, and I routinely uh, advertise when the shows are going to be, uh, aired. And you can dial in and ask a question. So anybody can call in and ask a question. Uh, there's no charge for that. And, um, and then you get a little bit more of an idea about how I work, and you kind of get to have a free a free little mini reading, like Cindy said. So I love doing it, and thank you, Cindy. Um, I love being part of the the Wisdom and Intuition Network. It's such an amazing group of, of people whose intention really is to, to, to be of service to God and to, to help those who need some illumination or some clarity. So it's a, it's an, a, a tremendous opportunity for us, so thank you so much.
0: Yeah, of course. You're welcome. I'm happy to be supporting it again. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm picking up on I want to just give voice to is the challenge you're bringing in, which is really a beautiful challenge in that you're using the term psychic and God, you know, in the same sentence. I just love that because it, it will challenge, you know, some uh, belief systems about, um, the nature of psychic reality and how, It's been kind of taboo, and, you know, when we really tap into our innate potential, psychic just means to know, and to know God, and, you know, everybody will have their definition for God, Um, so if, if you wanted to share a couple other words that are synonymous with God, Rebecca, that might work for other people, um... I think that well, might be it's helpful. So- <laughs> in how you define God? <laughs> and, <laughs> a and question, you. It's
1: a big question, it's it's no, it's a great question. And so, you know, I use a lot of different a lot of different words to define God. So, you know, of course, there's the supreme being, there's Lord, there's universe, there's conscious field. Um, my ex-husband called this morphogenic field because he was very much about science mind. Um, you know, but there's definitely an energy that is bigger than ourselves, and that energy is made up of love and compassion, at least in my experience. And, and I've been doing this now for really almost 30 years. Um, that this is a loving energy. It's, it is, um, I, yeah, I don't know how to explain it really except loving, loving nurturing, um, guiding energy. Um, I do know that in various versions of the Bible that psychics have also been referred to as prophets, visionaries, fears, um, that there are many religious organizations that actually recognize um, those of us who have been given a gift of, of, of sight and, and knowing um, that is beyond the physical realm. And the reality is we all have it. We are all intuitive. I call our intuition, our internal GPS, our God positioning system, because my belief is that God gives us tools to be able to perceive things to keep us safe and keep us on the path that is according to God's highest good. And so, um, you know, we are all part of that. We all have intuition. We've all had the experience where we're driving down the street and we get to a stop sign and we hear that little voice that says, you should turn left. And we say, no, I'm going to go straight. I always go straight. And that little voice says, you should turn left. And we go, nope, I'm going straight. And you drive down the street. And sure enough, you get down the street a few blocks and it's closed. And you have to turn around and go back. Where do you have to turn back and go? It's right where that little voice told you you should turn. So we've had that. Or we've had the, oh, I wish I would have, could have, should have. Well, the thing is, I never do that anymore. I never say, I wish I would have. I wish I could have. I wish I should have. Or I knew I should have. I don't have that experience anymore and I'll tell you why. The last time that I had an argument with my guides, I went to a shopping mall because I had to pay a bill. I couldn't find any place to park. I went into the parking garage and there was a I finally found a spot. I'd been driving around for at least 5 minutes. Not a long time, but it felt like a long time, right? And so finally I find the spot and it's next to one of the giant pillars. And the little voice says, don't park there. You're going to break your mirror. And I go, no, it's okay. You just told me I got this information from you. I'm going to be really careful. And the voice says, don't park there. You're going to break your mirror. So I'm having this silent internal argument with my guides, with the angels, whoever you want to call it. And I say, no, it's okay. I heard you. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to be really careful. Thank you for giving me the guidance. I park the car. I go inside. I'm inside for 20 minutes. I come back out, and as I'm walking to my car, I'm like, okay, remember, you got to be really careful because you got the guidance about the broken mirror. So you need to be super, super careful when you back out because you're right next to that pillar and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I get in the car. I'm starting to back out, and I would have sworn I had two feet between me or between the car and that pillar. And guess what happened? Smack, my mirror is broken now. That mirror was an electric mirror, and it cost me like $300 to fix it. I don't argue anymore. If I get a little voice that says, you need to do this, I listen, and I don't argue, and I never say, you. I wish I would have, could have, should have. I never do that in my life anymore. And that was, you know, probably 15 years ago. So start listening to your intuition. You are guided divinely. All the time. If you have a gut feeling about something, ask yourself, what is this trying to tell me? Because it is your God positioning system, God's trying to help you.
0: Mm, Great story. Thank you for sharing it. (laughs) really playful, too. I mean, you can laugh about it now. I'm sure you weren't laughing at the time. But in hindsight, you know, hindsight is just such a, a, a valuable teacher in and of itself. I mean... This is sometimes, we don't get the lesson in the moment, but we get it later when we look back. So I I feel that that is really coming into terms with a sense that we are timeless. We're in really a timeless experience, even though we're experiencing it through a structure of what we call time. And this is kind of ironic, but I always thought what a different world it would be if we didn't have any clocks or any mirrors. So the fact that you clocked your mirror kind of tells me that you were (laughs) getting a divine (laughs) teaching about the nature of your cosmic reality, if you will. So I think that would be a, a kind of a funny exclamation point on this conversation, and we'll leave it at that. And I thank you once again for your joyfulness, your humor, your playfulness and your generosity and congratulations on all of the great accomplishments you've made and making the top 50 psychics in the world list that is, it's well deserved.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity and and thank you to, to all of the listeners. I, I'm very grateful to each and every one of you. If you know, those of us who do this work love it and if you show up first then we have an opportunity to do it. So thank you. And again, thank you, Cindy, from the bottom of my heart.
0: Oh, of course. And one more way to tune in into this conversation and others like it is to go to the Win Network website at worldclasswin.com. You can also subscribe there to the weekly newsletter and hear about other programs that are being offered on the network. You'll get to see other affiliates and supporters of the network and be alerted to when more conversations like this are going to be posted so that you can continue the conversation with us thank you for tuning in it's been a joy to share this time with you until next time be kind to yourself and each other bye-bye